You are listening to Prophet Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson, exploring biblical prophecy for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Welcome to Prophet Pearls, recorded live in the city of the prophets, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, the eternal capital of Israel and the Jewish people. This is Nehemia Gordon in the safe house with Keith Johnson. We're here in Nehemia, and I'm asking this simple question. Uh, we're going to do this. Are we ever going to be able to get through this this section that we're about to do? I mean, there's so many. We could, we have stories about the section more than even about the section itself that literally could take up the whole show. We have section about the section more than about the section. Yeah, section <laughs> about the section. The testimony about the section. The testimony about the testimony. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is a great one. So, uh, But yeah, let's do it. I well, mean, and before we get started, we have to yeah. say thanks to Rena, who, um, thanks, who is Rena. a Prophet Pearl partner. And also... Rick's got comments that we're going to ask him to make available. Rick, thank you so much for uh, for everything. We want you to make those available at both sites because when we get comments like these, we want them to be posted so other people can interact with them and we can, can have a kind of like a community conversation. So, you know, basically that's join what the we're conversation. Asking, join the conversation. But I really want to thank uh, everybody that's willing to, to do what Rick has done, which is, is to make those comments. And those folks that are Profit Pro partners, thank you so much. We're, we're really, we're really, this is no small thing that we're doing. We're actually in the middle of putting together all of these within a two-week period of time. We prepared ahead of time. This is one, Nehemiah, we didn't just prepare. We actually lived it. <laughs> we experienced it. Yeah, we yeah. experienced it. 1846. And, and, um, and, and again, we're right with the English and the Hebrew. Um, and before we get into the story, one little simple thing that I really like uh, when it says in English, it says in English this, 1846 says, the power of Yehovah came upon Elijah. And I look in Hebrew and it says, in Vayad Yehovah came upon uh, to Eliyahu, the hand of Yehovah was upon him. And I think, wow. I mean, think about that. You know, hand and power. I mean, there's these images of that. But but just the thought of, of the hand of Yehovah being upon a person as a result of that, it's been translated as power. And I mean, but but that that really is what's catapulting him. He's, he's got He's got God's hand on him. God's hand is on his life. Yes. Literally. Yeah. So. I guess not literally, but figuratively. Well, I mean, yeah. Spiritually. Yes. I should say that. Anyway, and it, and and then it starts in 19.1. So now in Hebrew, um, you know, this is, this is, again, we've talked a lot about mm-hmm. this, these these verses and chapters and all that sort of thing. But um, it go, it, here it ends, 1946, 1846, and then 19.1. Um, and I'll read the first one, if that's okay. Please. Um, so Ahab goes home and tells it's, it's really kind of funny. You know, if you haven't heard the first section, they really need to hear the, they need to hear the first section. Yeah. We, we recorded the first section. I don't remember even when we recorded it. Um, do you remember when that was? That would have been, uh, many moons ago. Many moons ago. We did, uh, here it was, it was episode, tw- it was actually the first one we did here in the safe house. Episode 21. Me. It was the portion on Kitisa. Ah. And then now we are currently on episode 41. Mm-hmm. It was literally 20 episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And this is the portion on Pinchas, mm-hmm. uh, which is Numbers 25, 10 to 30, verse 1. Yeah. And so that, again, the original yeah. Torah pearls, they can listen to that. So literally, yeah. there's a couple things they can do. They can listen to the original Torah pearls, but also Prophet pearls more importantly, Prophet Pearls, number 21, yeah. which will give them the first part of this, which we've already discussed. Yeah. So let's add And isn't it continue. interesting that whoever decided on these, you know, this tradition of reading the portions in public, they decided on this, this section here, this contiguous, continual section 
but then they they took a break in the middle of 20 uh 20 episodes 20 weeks and then even there there's also they skipped a few verses I mean the last yeah, one they ends, did. and you, I know you were you were vexed about that the last one ends vexed. in verse 39 and this portion begins in verse 46 yeah. so and then wouldn't that be great at some point in the future to do like a discussion or a teaching just on those on the missing verses? Those missing verses. There you must know be an agenda. And they're no, they're they're worth it on the missing verses. But anyways, now but Ahab, today. this is kind of funny to me because <laughs> yeah. Ahab, after this whole thing happens, you know, if you heard the story, you guys know what happened. You know, they basically had the contest up there, and Ahab goes home and tells and reaches, the contest at Mount Carmel. Yeah, and now, now Ahab goes and tells Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. Isn't that funny? She's, we could just spend the rest of the time on these two. No, I'm, this is interesting to me. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now, let me just give you this story. Whoa. People talk about Jezebel yeah. all the time. The spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel. But this, <laughs> I have to be honest. Look, I learned that from your people. No, no, I don't know where you got it from. I mean, but I'm just saying, here's the point. In this story, I got this like this little weakling like Ahab. He's the king. He's the king. And he comes and says, he killed the prophets and I'll handle him. You know, it's like she says, I'll take care of him. Is she and wearing the pants in the family? No, she's wearing the pants and she's doing everything else. And she says, may it be, you know, he says, by this time tomorrow, I mean, she's being prophetic. She's saying, by this time tomorrow, may you be like mm. one of the prophets. I mean, she's, yeah. she really is running the show. He comes home and tells her he's the king. Yeah. What the heck? So are you saying she is the anti-Deborah, the anti-Devorah? Because we had Deborah Devorah, who is this, you know, it, it, sort of like this. Um, I don't want to use the word feminist, but the way you're present, it's almost like there's this feminist picture, you know, of of this queen, not queen, excuse me, this prophetess, and she's judging. She does everything a man can do, but then when it comes times for war, the man goes out, and he doesn't have enough confidence. So she says the victory will be in the hand of a of a woman, not mm-hmm. her. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is almost like the anti Deborah. Yeah, can, can we say that? Yeah, I mean, well, and, and can I make a confession? I've made fun of Keith for the whole feminist thing, but just this week, I don't know if you know this, Keith. My sister Ariella, who's a professor, my oldest sister, she's a professor at the uh, Hadassah College in Jerusalem and the head of the optometry department and a researcher there. And there was an article in the Israeli newspaper about her, uh, and it was called. Uh, uh, something like a feminist in academia. You kept that article from me? No, I haven't seen this article. Wait, I, I want to read. No, no. What are you talking? So my sister, folks, maybe the next week. What, and next week we'll get what, it. I'm going to read the article. No, can, I, it, can I quote what my sister said? Mm. Um, and, and I'm really proud of my sister. She, she's uh, you know accomplished quite a bit. Um, and and one of the things they were talking about, which I think is a very legitimate issue, is that women are underrepresented in Israeli academia. Um, and uh, here's what she this is the quote from her it says what we do what we do in our personal lives influences society at large it's like she read the book of prayer to our father we talk about that um, uh, I hope I serve as a role model for other women at the head of the optometry department at Hadassah College but my most important job is as a mother of five children and as a spouse to an amazing man this is my sister saying it I think there are a number of things that contributed to the successes I have had so far beyond hard work One of them is connected to the fact that my parents raised me with a view according to which women and men deserve equal rights and opportunities. A message I'm interested in communicating to my staff and students through my work at the college. I'm very proud of my sister. I would like her to communicate it to her her brother. No. (laughs) And I love this. I love it too. And here's here's the point I want to make. What I've seen in the, and I say your people, I mean the Methodist, I mean the Christian world. In the the non-Jewish world, what I see is people will say, spirit of Jezebel. And what they mean by that is a woman who... um, 
who actually speaks out mm-hmm. and is proactive and isn't passive. And that's a complete perversion of what the message is mm-hmm. of that we're reading about in the book of Kings about the spirit. Mm-hmm. There is a spirit of Jezebel, but the spirit of Jezebel is the opposite of spirit, the spirit of Devorah, mm-hmm. of Deborah. Devorah was a prophetess. She spoke the word of Yehovah. She sat and she judged both men and women under the date tree and she judged Amen. righteously and honestly. And Jezebel is the exact opposite. Jezebel is a woman who she wants something. She brings false witnesses. Isn't that interesting? Here you have a judge who judges righteously, Deborah, Dvorah, the Israelite, and then you have the Sidonian princess who um, she brings false witnesses. They're both involved in judgment, both involved in cases. And it's not that Jezebel is a feminist and a, and a woman who right. isn't afraid to speak out. There's, that, that's a beautiful thing. That's, that's the spirit of mm-hmm. Dvorah, of Deborah. Mm-hmm. The spirit of Jezebel is lies and uh, Corruption deception, and perversion yeah, and, stuff, and yeah. deception. That is the spirit of Jezebel. Attacking the people of God, yeah. supplanting yes. the, the, the true prophets with the false prophets. That's the spirit of Jezebel. Don't use that term. Please, people, don't use that word, spirit of Jezebel, as part of some uh, you know yeah. anti-feminist agenda. Because right. exactly. you know what? My father, the Orthodox rabbi, uh, he taught me, and, and, I, and I completely stand by this, that God created both men and women in the image of God. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and so, you know, it's Selam Elohim, we say in Hebrew, the image of God. And we're both called to a purpose. Mm-hmm. We had Miriam, the prophetess, we just spoke about uh, last week, I think it was, yep. where she's alongside her brothers, Moses and Aaron, mm-hmm. that, you know, we're, we're told that this is, you know, God sent three prophets, not just one. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, so, I'm, I, so I think in the spirit of Ariella, my sister, and in the spirit of Dorah, let's recognize this evil spirit of Jezebel, but let's not pervert it and corrupt it for our own personal agendas. Mm-hmm. Amen. You know, it's interesting um, uh, when she does do this, when Jezebel does do this, and this is really one of these things, Nehemiah, that I want us to take just a minute, a minute with, and see if maybe there could be an interpretation for why this is the case. But it says when 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 Elijah heard this, this yeah. this, this statement. Um, in, in the NIV, it says, and Elijah was afraid. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the, um, and, and actually the, the verb is to see. It's verse, in verse, uh, verse 3, 19 verse 3. How'd you get to verse 3? We didn't talk about verse 2, 1 and 2 yet. I just got through talking about it, verse 1 and 2. No, I got, I got to go. I'm going to drag Okay, you okay, okay, got two. you. I There's, thought you were doing your big thing about, uh, she was saying what she was doing about Jezebel and right. all that. All right, so okay. All so right. here's what I want to I talk about, verses 1. First of all, I want to talk about Jezebel, because we, we gave a little bit of her background last time on episode yep. 21, but maybe people don't remember that. She was a Sidonian princess, mm-hmm. and here's what's amazing to me about the story. We've got this encounter at Mount Carmel, and the fire comes down, and it burns the, alt- it burns the mm-hmm. offering of, of Elijah, and then they, then the people say, okay, God's with Elijah. And so they, that, I don't know, we actually skipped this part because it was in the missing verses, but they slaughter the 400 prophets of Baal down in Nachal Kishon, in the Kishon mm-hmm. River. And, uh, and then they go, you know, then, and Jezebel hears about this. Now, what would you do if you were Jezebel? If I were Jezebel and I just heard the 400 prophets I believed in were just, they were shown to be false prophets and God sent a fire down from heaven and consumed a sacrifice, I'd say, wow, I was wrong. And I would take my fist and I would beat it against my chest and say, Ashamti, Bagadati, I have, I've been guilty. I've, this is what we do on, on, in Jewish tradition on, uh-huh. on the high holidays. We beat our chest and we, we repent. We say we were wrong. And Jezebel doesn't do that. She doesn't repent. 
Isn't that interesting? Not at but, all. That's not interesting to me at all. To Jezebel, me, this is Jezebel, Jezebel, Jezebel. This is, is the main. Jezebel, her background and everything about her wouldn't say to me that she would repent. Everything about her would say that she'd do exactly what she's doing. So I want to talk about her 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 background. Yeah. So do you remember the name of her father? Oh, the name man. of her father was Et Baal. Et Baal. Yes. Now Baal, we know what it means. It's the name of that deity. And 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 you know the Canaanite language of the Sidonians was a, a sister language to Hebrew. Mm-hmm. It was probably ninety percent overlapping with Hebrew to the point where if if you would write out in Hebrew letters the Canaanite language, most Israeli high school students would understand most of what they read. There'd be mm-hmm. things they didn't understand. They'd understand most of it. Um, so it's very similar to Hebrew. So just like in Hebrew, we have these compound names, mm-hmm. like Nehemiah means Yah comforts, mm-hmm. um, or uh, you know, you, you ha- or even the name Elijah, Eliyahu, uh, mm-hmm. Yehovah is my God. My God is Yehovah. Eli, my God, Yahu. Uh, so so the name her name of her father, Izebel, is Et Baal. Which is really interesting because that's basically not basically the name is Aleph Tav Baal, mm-hmm. the Aleph Tav with and what does Et mean? Et we've talked about is a Hebrew word doesn't really translate into English directly. It translates through syntax. Mm-hmm. It has two functions. I don't know if you know this. Et can mark the direct object mm-hmm. or it can mean with. Mm-hmm. Um, and the name of her father is with Baal. Et mm-hmm. Baal. Mm-hmm. She and, and and this is the point. Jezebel was with Baal no matter what. Exactly. She lost the fight. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. She's going to stick with Baal. Oh, yeah. And that's why I say it doesn't surprise me. Meaning that 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 this is who she is. I mean, and it shows us before this happens, mm-hmm. and it shows us after this happens that that's exactly who she is. And this is the spirit of Baal. The spirit. The spirit of Jezebel. Of Jezebel. Mm-hmm. The spirit of Jezebel is to stick with your false false doctrine. Your false religion. Mm-hmm. Out of out of this blind devotion, even when it's been proven wrong mm-hmm, by experience, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about what she says in verse two. She says, "Koya asun Elohim sifun," which is really interesting. She uses this word Elohim. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever an Israelite speaks about Elohim, he, it's always what we call the majestic plural, mm-hmm. which really means it's it only refers to one. And how mm-hmm. do I know that? Because we have a verb, an adjective. And a pronoun that attaches mm-hmm. to the word Elohim, mm-hmm. and those are always singular. You can go read my, my study on that, mm-hmm. uh, Elohim. It's on Nehemiahswall.com. But when Jezebel speaks about Elohim, the verb is plural. Exactly. She doesn't say Koyaase Elohim Yosif. She says Koyaasun. They will do. Those literally thus they got, uh, Elohim will do, and mm-hmm. so shall they do even more. And she's making an oath here. This is an oath we see uh, a similar oath Israelites making, but then it's always in the singular. Mm-hmm. When Jezebel speaks, God is in the plural. And, and by the way, the Philistines do the same thing in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 8. They say, woe to us. Who shall save us from the hands of these great Elohim? Mm-hmm. These, plural. Mm-hmm. And the great in Hebrews, uh, plural as well. These Elohim are they that they smote the Egyptians with every plague in the desert. So it's when the Philistines and Sidonians speak, Elohim is plural. When an Israelite speaks Elohim, it's Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, mm-hmm. he created Elohim instead of Baru. In the beginning, they created Elohim. Mm-hmm. God is singular. Elohim is singular. Majestic plural in the Hebrew. Amen. Well, are you ready to get to, to work? Because I've got to, we've got to, when I say get to work, I mean, this is going to take a little tap tap. Do you, are you in the mood oh, where you, you can do you a tap tap? I'm going to tap tap. Little computer program. Um, while you're preparing for that, this is, I really, I really think this is interesting because if I read this and I, this is what I love folks as you're listening, I, I really love to do Bible study. And, and, and what I mean by Bible study is, is where I would take um, a verse or a passage 
And I would look at it in the language, the original language, but I'd also look at it in, in the translations because oftentimes the translations do something really cool, actually. Yeah, they, um, they give me an indicator of what the thinking is regarding mm-hmm. a, a passage or a phrase and, and what the options are for a passage or a phrase and why they do that. And that sometimes gives me some indication to think differently. Like, I'll give you an example as you're, as you're preparing your, yeah, uh, as I'm you ready. get this. Um, you this is in 19.3. Yeah. Um, in English, it says Elijah was afraid. And if I just take Elijah was afraid, and, and the word here in, in English in, uh, in three is, is the same word we use for to see. And now here's what about no, no, that. Yeah, about that. Now, now just, just one, one, one second, one second. So, so when you, when you, when you first, when you first just casually look at this, you say, oh, okay. So what word let's go a little about? farther. Hold on just one second. So, so we have to go a little bit further and we have to say, okay, so when you say that you, 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 you go to a word and you look at the word and say, okay, is this word, is, is the root of this word, the same word as the word that we think? So for, is it, is it the word to see Ra'ah, Aleph, Hey, and in this situation, you, you've got to make a decision. Now, why say I, I love to do Bible study? I'm just talking about from a casual standpoint. So first, when I look at the NIV, it says, now, um, Elijah was afraid. And he rose, and then it uses the word to go or to, to, to walk, and they, they use the word run. They say in, in the NIV, it says, and he ran for his life. Now, this is the phrase, one, two, three, four, five words. Before we go any further, now what I want to do is I want you to tap, tap. So I want you to I want you to look at these one two three four five words and give me a, a translation based on the words. Um, how, how how good is the is the NIV there? And he was afraid and he and he rose up and he ran for his life. Yeah. So it doesn't say he was afraid. It says and he saw. Mm-hmm. Right. And what they've done in the NIV is is they've they've changed the vowels mm-hmm. to fit their agenda. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the agenda is, mm-hmm. but um, so, or maybe they just don't know Hebrew well enough. That's also possible. Mm-hmm. So in Hebrew, you can have these uh, four letters, Vav, Yud, Resh, Aleph. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have vowels, you wouldn't know if it was and he saw or and he was afraid. Exactly. And he feared. And the reason is that we have two different roots in Hebrew, mm-hmm. which um, they are not homonyms. Homonyms are two words that sound the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're homographs, which mm-hmm. means they look the same. They mm-hmm. look the same if there's no vowels. Mm-hmm. So uh, in certain forms. So we have the root resh aleph he, which is to see, ra'ah. Mm-hmm. And we have the root yud resh aleph yare, which is to fear. Mm-hmm. Okay, those don't sound, those don't even look the same. Resh aleph he and yud resh aleph. Except, mm-hmm. and he saw is uh, vayar, mm-hmm. vav yud resh aleph. And he feared is Vayira, mm-hmm. Vav Yud Reshalaf. Same four letters, same mm-hmm. four consonants. What's different mm-hmm. is the vowels. Mm-hmm. So Vayar is and he saw in this verse, but an example of and he feared would be for. And actually, let me give you first an example of that. Um, Genesis one four. Vayar Elohim etaol kitov, and God saw the light that it was good. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then you have Vayira, and he feared. For example, in Genesis uh, twenty eight seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what is Genesis twenty eight seventeen speaking about? Um, here, this is the GPS. It says, shaken, he said. How awesome is this place? Yeah. This is, I guess, Jacob. Uh, in the King James, it says, and he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so this is Jacob when he's fleeing. And I guess he's in Bethel or someplace like that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, uh, so Vayiraz, and he feared. Now, the interesting thing in Genesis twenty-eight seventeen is there's a silent Yud. Mm-hmm. Um, and that silent Yud tells the reader, even if there are no vowels, that it's and he feared. Yes, um, it te- it's it's they call this an historic spelling. It's a historic, it's not really historic, but in the sense that it tells me 
here's the root. You're not going to pronounce it, but when you see it, you'll know this is the root. Mm-hmm. For example, bury sheet with that silent olive tells me that that's the olive of the root, even though it's silent. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as how it's pronounced, it's pronounced the same way. Did that answer your question? Yeah. And what the reason, I, the reason I brought this up, no, the reason I brought this up was because when I read this in the NIV, my okay. first thought was I had a little bit of a conflict oh. because the conflict was here. Elijah just did all this stuff. I mean, he yeah. did some amazing things. He's standing up against 800 and some prophets. I mean, it's yeah. obviously a tense situation. And I see this confidence mm-hmm. and all this. And then the word says, and the hand of Yehovah was upon him. In English, it says, and the power of Yehovah was upon him. So this is Elijah. And then you got this yapping Jezebel who's upset and she's threatening him and she's doing all of these things. And then when it says he's afraid, I'm thinking, wait, is that really what the situation is? When I think of and he saw, I'm like he's being he's looking around, he's looking and he's saying, OK, this is my situation. This is the situation that I'm in. And it, it gives me a different thought about Elijah to think of him being afraid and to think of the fact that he saw a situation and he, and he responded sometimes. And I'll just say this this way. Sometimes we do need to know what our situation is. You got to look around and say, OK, what am I dealing with? Am I done with my mission here? I've battled the prophets of Baal. I've done this and now I'm going to do go do my next thing. <clears throat> or was it just, okay, because now she spoke, he's afraid and he's running for his life. Yeah. I just, and you're making a big deal about the um, about this false translation. No, 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 not about the translation. No, no, no. Actually, I'm not but making a deal. For example, the JPS has it, you know, frightened. Yeah. Oh, no, so no, it has no. the same mistake. What the heck? No, no, no. It's not the mistake. No, no. The point I was trying to make was. Oh, so King James has when he saw. Yeah. So the King James has it right. Right, right, right. Like I wasn't JPS dealing with the fact it. of the mistake. I was dealing with the fact of how I would read it differently. Okay. Like when I see it, oh, so I think, wow. Okay, he's uh, he's afraid or he saw. And what's the difference right. between the two? Yeah, there is a difference. I mean, if right. I see a situation, I'm like, okay, now is it time to move on? The danger is is, is about to come, you know, versus, and yeah. I'm just afraid from up of Jezebel. So I got to say, most of the translations have afraid or fear, mm-hmm. and then the King James and the New King James has has the saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess contextually, they, they, it doesn't make sense to them that he saw. What did he see? But he saw Jezebel's reaction. Maybe he was just as surprised by Jezebel's lack of repentance as I was. And, and I think this is the spirit of Jezebel. Oh, my goodness. The spirit of Jezebel oh, is you my encounter. Goodness. Can I speak? The spirit of Jezebel is you encounter truth. You see the evidence. And you say, I'm going to stick with what I already knew, even though you see the evidence right in front of you. That's the spirit of Jezebel. No, Je- what Elijah saw was that, that she's a nut. And he had finished his mission. What do you mean? And it was time to get out of there. If I'm Elijah. But Elijah didn't say, well, now she's going to repent. No, Elijah knows she's. So then why did. Wait a minute. So we we just read in verse 46, which you kind of skipped over, Mm. that um, Elijah went all the way to Jezreel, to the capital, meaning he could have ran from Mount Carmel. But he followed Ahab all the way back home to where he was going to tell Jezebel. And uh, because maybe he was expecting her to repent. Maybe he thought, you know what? She probably won't repent because she's got Jezebel has the spirit of Jezebel. But I'm going to give her that chance. I'm going to give, you know, it's almost like when the angels went down to uh, to uh, to Sodom. Come on. They knew the Sodomites were going to be Sodomites, but they gave him the opportunity to repent. And here she had the opportunity to repent. And he saw that she didn't repent. And then he said, "Okay, now it's time to hightail it out of here. (laughs) We are clearly. okay. All right. Well, listen, uh, I'm reading what it says. And so when I, I hear this, I'm thinking of the wisdom of Elijah that says it's time to get out of here. He came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there. So a servant was with him this whole time. We Who's don't hear servant? about the servant. Well, it, 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 I don't think we're up so to So Elisha shows up later in the yeah, story. Later, so it can't so be Elisha. It can't be him. It's got to be someone else. Some anonymous servant. Some anonymous servant that was there with him. And while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came into a broom tree. What's a broom tree, Nehemiah? Yeah, I don't know. Some kind of little tree. <laughs> it's a rotem, whatever that is. Okay, so there's this broom tree, and he sees this tree, 
And uh, and he says, and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. Wow. That he might die? So he just had this great victory and now he's saying... Can I read you what it literally says? Yes. Literally says, Vaish'alit nafsholamut. And he asked his soul to die. And he asked his soul to die. And, and really, when we see in Hebrew, it's his soul. It also means himself. Mm-hmm. He asked himself to die. That's that's profound. That is profound. That's really profound. Can, can I? Can I? Can I? Can we have some confession time here, or should we move? Well, on? let's. I want to have confession. I just want to let's say why, why, what he said after that, and then okay, let's have sure. confessions. He says, "I've had enough. Enough, enough now, Yehovah, take my soul." For I'm no better than my father. Now, that's, see, that's, that's the interesting shift. statement. That's the shift that I want to talk about. Oh, you, you want to focus on that? I want to talk about this. You know, we've got this conception in in in, uh, in the Western world. In, in I, think, I, would, can, I would venture to say the Judeo Christian world overall mm. that if someone is uh, that suicide is this. You know, if you've ever even had those thoughts, you're this bad person, and um, you'd be surprised how many people have had those thoughts. And look, I've struggled with this question myself. I've been in a really a deep place of depression and, um, and prayed this prayer for God to take my life. I've actually had... Been, Folks, wait, wait a minute. No, no, wait. Come here. Now, hold on here. Let's, let's back up for a second. Maybe we can smooth this out a little bit. Yeah. You know, you, you want to jump right into this. So you, we couldn't smooth it out and maybe say that he was, had an image of, of dying and that we could argue that because he went to sleep, he really meant just said, I want to go to sleep. And it was the thought that, you know, that maybe he just needed some time to sleep. You're saying that you think Elijah. He's depressed. He wants to die. You think this is it. He's, he really, that's yeah. it. At this moment. Yeah. And you're saying you've been at a time in your life where you've actually thought that way. I, I've been in a worse situation than, than he is right now. And, and it was only through Yehovah that I was plucked out of the... We read that phrase, a brand plucked from the fire. That was me. I was... And I won't go into all the details right now, but I was in a situation where I was closer to Elijah to death, and Yehovah saved me at that moment. You know, and, and I've talked about how you know, salvation has a literal you know, physical and a spiritual component to it. And, and it was through experiencing that that I could see the spiritual component of it. Uh, that's not something I read about just in the Tanakh. It was having to experience it myself, Yehovah coming at the last moment and plucking me out of the fire of, of saving my, literally saving my life at the last moment in a, in a time of desperation that I realized God is, is just unbelievable. He's amazing. Hmm. He's just, you know, you know, I'll talk to people who they're not sure if God is real, but after experiencing that, God, he's real. I've experienced him. Do we need to edit this whole thing out? Rav Ata, enough now. Enough so now, you basically, Yehovah. in your time, you've had time in your life where you just said, okay, now that's it. No. And the thing that I'm struggling with it, this, maybe they're just reading the story. And back to the translators, they're reading the whole story and they're saying, you know, maybe it's because of fear. I, I, I actually think of this as, you know, he's done this amazing thing. He just, like, what does it take to stand in front of 850 prophets and to see all these things and to see the amazing hand of God and the fire fall down and to do all of that? And then after it's all said and done, Jezebel says and sends the message to him to by tomorrow you're dead. Now think about it. Why not just say, okay, well, tomorrow if I'm dead, I'm dead. But instead he says, no, I'm not going to let her get the glory. And, and for me to be I, dead, I'm just going to die So now. I can understand his depression here. He, he's, he's um, I don't know what the word is. He's saying, it doesn't matter what I do. I, I still can't, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. There's nothing I can do to make this situation better. Um there's just no no point anymore. This is this is desperation that he's he's experienced uh, experiencing. I mean, God sent a fire down from heaven and showed that my God was real and their God was fake, mm. and the and the queen of the false god is still trying to kill me. Like what? 
what's the point of all this? He, he's 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 um. I understand his vexation. That's my. Well, point. then he lay down and he went under the the sleep of anxiety, the sleep of stress, and he finally went to sleep. So he took a sleep. He went to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then all at once it says in, in NIV, an behold. angel, behold, an so, angel yeah. touched him and said, "Get up and eat." And he looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he went to sleep again. Mm-hmm. In other words, that wasn't like, you know, get up, eat, and now I've got energy to keep going. Yeah. The angel of Yehovah came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days. Are you kidding me? 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went to in the cave and he spent the night. Now, this is where I want to have a conversation. Yeah. Where is he going and why? Where so, is he going? So he's going to Mount Sinai, which and, is also called Horeb. Okay. And uh, why is he going there? You know, that's where God appeared before Israel. And spoke to the entire nation of Israel. So do you think this is a crisis of faith or is this a crisis of circumstance? What is it? Is, in other words... I don't think it's a crisis of faith. Meaning mm-hmm. his, his faith isn't the issue right now. It's, um, you know, I mean, let's see what he says to God when he's up there. I mean, okay. Okay. Yeah. So he's, let's read on a couple more verses. All Before right. we do that, I want to do a little transition here. Yeah. Because um, what I think is really interesting, you know, we it, I, the first time that you actually went to the, the traditional Mount Sinai, let's let people know... About the traditional Mount Sinai, we call it Mount Sinai. There's the traditional Mount Sinai, and there's the, the what we believe to be, and wherever that is exactly the biblical Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. Yeah. But you know, the, up until some time ago, you could go and visit the traditional Mount Sinai, which is which by itself is a phenomenal experience. Right. The first time you told me about it, is, you know, and I do this a lot. If you tell me about something that's really amazing and it touches my heart, I say I've got to do it. I went and to China was, now. You're spending no, no, a year in China. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I was in your China situation. I mean, I'm, I'm a completely different situation. But uh, anyway, the point is that um, is that uh, when I heard about that and the beauty of it and also the significance of it, um, and you told me the story about about what it's like to be up there at night and, and all of that, but to physically to actually go there, it didn't matter to me. I just want to say this. It didn't matter to me that it was the traditional Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. It, it became... The experience itself, and and you remember what we did? We ended up spending time. And it was freezing cold, and we were in a what? What do they call that? Like a Bedouin? Uh, we were in a cave. Yeah. It, well, it was like this half cave, stone structure built into the side of a hill, like kind of cave thing. Oh my gosh! I don't and, know if I've um, ever been so cold at night. It was in my pretty life. cold. Oh. And, and our mistake was to go in February. See, I had been myself to Mount Sinai. I went there with a friend um, when I was going through a, a crisis of my own, um, and uh, I was in this situation where I was, you know. Um, was in, in a great actually not the situation I just spoke about believe it or not yeah. but I was in a situation where I was in great pain uh, after having a, a, a situation in my life and I wanted God to take that pain away and and I ended up going to Mount Sinai the traditional Mount Sinai the real ones in Saudi Arabia I'd get my head cut off unfortunately if I went mm-hmm. there but I went to the one in Egypt which actually as we're recording this is probably just as dangerous if not more dangerous than going yeah, to we one, just one went in Saudi there just Arabia before things got re- yeah, things are bad now, are, now yeah. the things are crazy I mean mm-hmm. they're cutting people's heads off and there's an Anyway, ISIS is there and Al Qaeda. Um, anyway, so um, but we went to this traditional Mount. I went to the traditional Mount Sinai a number of years back, and I was up there at the top of the mountain, and I and I asked God to, you know, I was praying to God, and just all of a sudden, um, 
I had this experience and I was overcome by this, these, this, these waves of emotion. And I, and I felt God reach down and take my pain away. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I actually talk about this. And I think in the open door series, we talk about this. I talk about it. And in the book, mm-hmm. shattering the conspiracy of silence, but it was really a turning point for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, up until then I, I'd, I'd had, I'd had a number of spiritual experiences in my life, but I was always taught that's something that we don't deal with. That's something that, you know, people who don't know any better because they can't read the books deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of the upbringing I came with. And once I had that experience, it then opened the door for me to sit, to go back and look at some of those experiences and say, wait a minute, I don't need to be ashamed that I had these other spiritual experiences because this is real. This mm-hmm. is nothing to do with you know superstition or mm-hmm. um, a lack of of, um, of book learning. God is is doing things in my life, and I, and I just need to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. So that was really an important turning point in my life. You know, it's something we we actually we got there. Um, you know, at night, the idea is you get there at night, and then you. Go up to the mountain, and it, it's funny, Nehemiah. Back then, I, I could tell this story that you were you were not doing well. You had your neck hurt, oh your back gosh. was hurt, and yet you had this huge backpack. Which you always carry this backpack everywhere you go. I never know really what thing. this thing, all <laughs> these things in this backpack. So you're like, well, I, I, I look, we're going to go to the top of the mountain. I'll take care of it, and then I'm smart enough. I see camels, and uh, I said, let's take the camel to the top. And I never heard you scream as loud as when we got up on those camels. But it was really cool because the camels were yoked together, and they were going up the mountain. It was one of the few times where you had to follow me, uh, my camel. Uh, was was going up at night at, in the dark, and it was like this amazing and, and powerful experience. Um, and again, when I think about Elijah, I think whatever, however big that mountain is, uh, Mount Horeb, um, how big it is, and, and what the physical um, uh, exertion that he used. It says the angel tells him, "You don't have enough energy for this journey. Eat and drink." And then he goes forty days and forty nights. And I mean, I just wonder, you know, if a psychologist could look at this, or a person could look at it that looks at the physical aspects of what he's spending in energy, the emotional issues that he's gone through. He's just had this—you call it, uh, you know—use the word, um, you know, like a suicide kind of like, you know, take my life sort of thing. I'm trying to smooth that over a little. Can bit. Can I say, but in the Hebrew, he doesn't say "take my life." He says to himself, "Yeah, he wants to die." Yeah. If it's one thing, like with Job, Job had the experience where he said, "God, take my life." Mm. Um, you know, it's better that I wouldn't have been born and et cetera. That's actually what the whole book of Job, a major part of the book of Job is about. But in the Hebrew, and I see they've, they've kind of, co- you know, sugarcoated this in the English. Yeah. In the Hebrew, he actually, he says to himself, I, I'm ready, I want to die. And look, I, I'll, I'll, I'll confess that I've been in that situation a number of times in my life. And I've gotten more too close for comfort, let's put it that way. And Yehovah is the one who saved me from that, from that happening. And I'm so grateful for that. I, I fully acknowledge that it was him. And I experienced him, you know, through that. And, and I'll talk about that one day when I'm ready to, but, you know, okay. I'm not really ready to. All right. Um, can, can I can I do something really radical, which we didn't prepare and, and you're not going to like it? I'm, I'm not going to like it. Go ahead. That's okay. I want to read people a little passage from the book that I wrote about my experience. Oh, can that's I, fine. Can I do that? Sure. Um, so this is, uh, let me, I don't even, I don't even, I'm, like, I I'm actually have the file right here. I'm opened up. Uh, Wait, so you wrote the book. I don't even know. We're on the radio. Why can't you just tell us what it is? You want to read word for word. I, I want to read a passage. I've never, I've, I rarely do this. You know, I don't do book readings, but here I want to read it because this was, you know, something that, that I had recorded shortly after it happened. And, you know, it, sometimes you look back years later and you're like, you know, there's so many things happen. It, it becomes blurry. Um, so here, all right. Before you start reading, tell them about the book, what book you're talking about. It's a book called Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence. And I open, uh, with this experience on Mount Sinai and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just read a little excerpt here. We're not going to read the whole book. No, no. (laughs) Um, but, but it's actually, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm looking at it right now. 
Um, it's about me and a, a guy, a friend of mine named Adam. We were up there on Mount Sinai, and we're in that little cave-like shelter, the one that we yep. that you were in with me years mm-hmm. later. But we were there in August or, or maybe September, and it wasn't as cold. So I, said, I wrote here on page 10, my friend and I sat on a mat on the floor of the candlelit shelter, and I pulled my Bible out of my backpack. I flipped to the book of Kings, this exact passage, mm-hmm. <laughs> and began to read the story of Elijah's journey to Mount Sinai in Hebrew, translating it to English for my friend as I read. Elijah walked for 40 days and 40 nights before reaching Mount Sinai. When he arrived at the top of the mountain, he lay down in a small cave and prayed for guidance. As he lay there, he heard, quote, a great strong wind splitting mountains and shattering rocks, but God was not in the wind. Then there was an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. Then a fire, but God was not in the fire. Finally, Elijah heard, quote, a still small voice, and God spoke to him through this voice. As I was reading this and translating to English, I became fascinated with the phrase, a still small voice. In Hebrew, it actually said, Kol de mama daka, literally a thin, silent voice. How could a voice be silent? And what did it really mean that the voice was thin? We spent some time discussing Elijah's experience on Mount Sinai and then decided that rather than waiting in the shelter, we would head for the peak. It took less than 10 minutes to reach the top of the mountain. There were hundreds of people up there from every race and dozens of nationalities. I heard many languages I recognized, but more that I did not. Many of the pilgrims at the peak were shaking violently from the chilly wind, even then it was cold. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They assumed it would be as hot on the peak as it was at the foot of the mountain, and some wore nothing more than shorts and t-shirts. Thankfully, the Bedouin came to the rescue, renting out woolen blankets to the freezing visitors. We were warned to bring warm clothes, so I was comfortably wrapped in several layers of shirts topped off with a hoodie. Most of the people at the peak were concentrated around two buildings, an old church and an old mosque. I needed to get away from the wall of noise the uh, people created, so I walked down a flight of old stones, stone steps that led to a ruined building below the church. I sat down behold an old column, behind an old column, pulled my hood over my head, and began to pray. I don't think I've ever prayed so hard in my life. I came to the mountain because my heart ached, and even after two months, the pain had not diminished. I sat behind that pillar and had a conversation with God, asking him to take away the hurt. I must have been down there for an hour when people started spilling down the steps into the ruined building where I was praying. As more and more pilgrims arrived, they were running out of room at the top. I decided to get up and look for my friend. I pushed through the throng of people, bounding up the steps towards the highest part of the peak. At a certain point, I could not go any further. I decided to lay claim to a small patch of ground about midway between the church and the mosque. Isn't that symbolic? (laughs) My plan was to wait there until sunrise, which by now was less than an hour away. I stood there staring at the horizon at the pre-dawn light. Turn this, uh, as the pre-dawn light turned the sky a deep blue, there was a group of Africans I assumed to be Kenyans behind me. Every now and then they would break out into the most beautiful a cappella singing. I had no idea what they were singing about, but I imagined it was some sort of religious music. I decided to pull my hood over my head and to go back to praying. I didn't want to nag God, but the pain in my heart hadn't subsided. As I prayed and the Kenyans sang, I suddenly recognized one word in their music. It was a Hebrew word, or rather two Hebrew words, which are often are joined together in the Bible as hallelujah, praise Yah. They were praising God using the poetic form of his name that appears dozens of times in the Hebrew Bible. I couldn't believe it. I was on a mountaintop in the middle of the desert, and these people I didn't know, speaking a language I couldn't understand, were praising the name of the one one true God in perfect Hebrew. I had no idea what the rest of the song was about, but they kept coming back to hallelujah in the chorus. Hmm. By this time, the first rays of the sun started to shine forth over the horizon, turning the mountains that surround Mount Sinai beautiful reddish-brown. As the Kenyans praised the name of Yah one more time, something happened to me something I never experienced before. A wave of emotion suddenly overcame me, and out of nowhere I burst into tears. I don't know if it lasted 10 minutes or 10 seconds. Time seemed to stand still. I suddenly felt God's love in a way I've never felt it before, not just in some intellectual way of knowing that God loves me, but in a very real and tangible way. 
In my mind's eye, I could see God looking down from heaven at me and, and hear him say, I'm going to take the pain off your shoulders and carry it for you. I then felt the hand of Yah reach down and take my pain away. From that moment, the numbing pain was gone. I'm not saying it didn't still hurt, but the feelings of emptiness and despair were gone. For two months, I had been looking out at the world through a veil of sadness, overwhelmed by hopelessness. Then I heard the thin, silent voice, and that all evaporated in an instant. I didn't have a spotless mind like Jim Carrey in that movie, but I felt like a human being again, invigorated by the morning chill. All right, I could read on and on, but that it, it was—it really was. A, it was an unbelievable. I, I can't like even those words don't do it justice describing what happened. And 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 there's no way I can read this story now in in a, you know, reading what Elijah experienced and not go back to that. You know, and, and that may not have been the exact spot where Elijah was because the real Mount Sinai might be in Saudi Arabia, but that was as close as I can get. And, and I believe Jehovah decided, okay, this is as close as you can get to me. I'm going to meet you there. Mm-hmm. Isn't God amazing yeah, that he'll amazing. come and meet us? Yeah. Even if we can't get to where, where, where exactly where he is or exactly where he taught us to be, that he'll come and meet us mm. and deal with us. Hallelujah. Now, you had a, you said a phrase in there. You said yeah. the empty spot in that movie. What movie yeah. are you oh, talking about? Oh, so I about? refer there to this movie. There, so there was this movie that I absolutely love with Jim Carrey where he, he's in love with this woman. And, and he, he I mean, do you say talk about the movie earlier? I, I do, yeah. Oh. He, he can't get over the pain. And so he goes to this operation to have a spotless mind. And oh. that's what I wanted to oh. have a spotless mind okay. and have just just have those memories erased and and I couldn't have that. That's not how life, real life works. That's not how it works, you know. And even today, I, I I remember and there's still some pain looking back. But you know, it's not the same kind of pain as before, where it was like like all encompassing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, isn't God amazing no, that he, he'll, he'll like he, he can take my pain away? And mm-hmm. like if you if somebody else had told me that story before it happened to me. I would have said, yeah, right. I would have said, aha, alas. <laughs> alas. <laughs> you know, like, and I, and I would have rolled my eyes. But after I experienced that, it's like, wow, you know, God is bigger than the boxes that my people have put him in. You know, it's funny about rolling eyes. I, I, I just, I, I got to tell you, I'm sitting here in Jerusalem and there's been so many things that have come up, so many issues that we've talked about. And just, we've been here about a week and we've done all these sessions and all that. And, and I think about you writing that now and, and who you were then. And the rolling of eyes from twelve years ago, there's not so much. There's not so much rolling of eyes by you anymore. Well, I'm, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There was a time when somebody would share, uh, you know, that even you, you told me about how you had this thing, and I'd be like, yeah. another crazy Christian has come to Jerusalem, and yeah. you know, and, and and what I've seen is God is bigger than the boxes that we've created for Him, mm-hmm. and, and I really mean that. Um, you know, in my tradition, we've we created these boxes for him. God doesn't do that. He doesn't deal with those people in that way. Oh, no, he only did that 3,000 years ago. He doesn't do that anymore. Really? Mm-hmm. Who says? Mm-hmm. You know, God can do whatever he wants, and he mm-hmm. can do it with whoever he wants, and he can do it any way he wants. And having experienced these things myself, now when somebody tells me something that, you know, theologically doesn't make sense to me, intellectually doesn't make sense to me, I say, mm-hmm. you know what? That person had that experience with God. They believe they had experience with God. Mm-hmm. I don't need to question that. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the experience that they had for them. And um, it, who am I to question that? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, and so you told you were in the, in the what you were reading. You were talking about yeah. the phrase. They actually quoted it word Quote for word. Ma da ka, thin you, silent voice. Yeah. I got nothing more to say on that. Yeah, and I mean, and then but then then there is this, and I want to I, I want to just talk about this a little bit because. Yeah. He has this experience, and then a voice says to him, and I think this is really interesting, when there's a question that's asked of man or a woman by God, this is verse um, 14. Okay. I'm sorry, verse 13. Yeah. When there's a question that's asked by God of man or woman, the question isn't asked because God doesn't know the answer, 
When the question is asked, it's almost like God saying, now answer it for me so that you can know why you're there. So it's like asking in Genesis, Adam, where are you? It's not that I don't know where you are. I know exactly where you are, but I need you to be able to tell me where you are. And, and in this situation, it says, he says, uh, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then Elijah goes on to explain why he's there. Now, now can I ask something? So you're a yeah. father, and I, I've never been a father yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Yehovah, maybe perhaps one day may will bless me. But I've been I've been a, the daddy of a dog. And when the dog would do something, I would say, Georgia, did you do something? And she knew. I would. I knew, and she knew that I. Oh, knew. she 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 could understand your language. Oh, she knew exact just from the tone. She, when I would, you know, if she like, you know, maybe she had an accident in the house, or I'd say, "Did you do?" Or she or she stole like my dinner and you know jumped mm. up on the thing, and I'd say, "Did you do something?" And then she would have the. Did, now is that the same thing with children? Yeah, it's really asking. interesting. No, because I, I many times when my sons, I would go to my sons and say, "So, um, <laughs> it's almost like one of them saying, okay, uh, give God, give God the glory. Tell me the truth. <laughs> I already know. I already know what happened, but it wasn't because, as a question. No, no, it wasn't it's okay. like a statement, right. but there are times when you ask a question and you, and you want them to be able to say, yes, this is exactly, I'm really glad you brought that up Nehemiah, because it's a great memory for me as I go back to that. But when I think of these questions that God asks all through scripture, the questions asked, and then the answer comes and it's almost like you get a chance, you get to answer and Elijah is answering here. So he can know himself. It isn't that God's going to get some new information. It's that Elijah's going to be able to say it. And then we as the readers get to understand now all this that's happened up to this point. All this running, this what you call him saying he's going to take his life. Are he asked for his, you know, to take his life. And I'm still he not getting that. It. Yeah, getting that, um, getting that, that right. Um, but, but in all of it, he's now going to tell us. And I want to know if I can read the yeah. reason for this. He says, and I think it's really interesting what he says, because it's almost like he's got a bad memory. I'll tell you what I mean. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. That's true. Broken down your altars. That's true. Put your prophets to death. That's true. With the sword. That's also true. Then he makes this statement. (laughs) And I want us to stop here. Now, did he not remember that he had been told by uh, Ovidiah? No, it was, um, did we call him? Um, Obadiah. It says here. Then he says, "And I am the only. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. So they are, and I'm the only one left. What's going on here with this last statement? Is this like his just? You know, I mean, it's just that bad. He's the only prophet left. He." Yeah, but there were prophets that were hidden in the cave, and he was been told about the seventh. Yeah, there was a (laughs) hundred. Fifty in each cave. Yeah, so there's a hundred. So is he? Is he not? Am I am I, I being too tough on him? You're, you're probably saying, "Look, you know what? Let Elijah, you know." Well, the answer is no. You're not the only one. That's the answer, exactly. But why he said that, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. Maybe somebody can uh, can you know figure it out and post it on uh, bfanfanfiction.com. I would love or, them to post that and tell me why Elijah says this because, because it's really interesting the, the little transition that takes place. And I'm I'm looking at big picture right now. You were reading your book. And I thought it was really beautiful because it's a it's a chance for 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 you to bring to the yesterdays, the todays, and the tomorrows as far as your own experience and testifying uh, to that. Um, but as we're as we're looking at the big picture, this is something that 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 kind of stopped me in my tracks yeah. because I'm saying, is he just on? A, now this is going to sound really bad, and you're yeah. probably going to think I'm being insensitive. But is is Elijah in that situation now where it's like it's moved beyond? This is the circumstance. It's just it's like it, it's a pity party. It's even further. Well, here, here's what I could say. Um, I, I, I'm going up maybe on a limb here, but but perhaps, let, let me just say this. Someone who's in a, in a desperate state, state mm. of depression, and I'm speaking from experience, 
tends to exaggerate how bad things are. That's what I was waiting for. And, and, yeah. and so, for example, in some of the, the literature on this topic, they talk about um, infant time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what they explain is, like, for example, when an infant is laying in the crib and starts to cry. And maybe, the, that, mother, maybe yeah. the mother is off, you know, getting the bottle. Yes. And it takes, you know, 90 seconds. But to the infant, the infant doesn't know how long that will be. It doesn't have a lot of life experience. So to the infant, this is an, that uh, yeah. 90 seconds is an eternity and can mm-hmm. actually traumatize the child, so, so they say. Um, and when you're dealing with extreme experiences of depression, you might be going through something that lasts, you know, two and a half days. But to you, that two and a half days is infant time. It's an eternity. Mm-hmm. And, and the objective as you're, as you're going through this is, is, and this is the intellectual trying to override the emotional, is to say, okay, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and in other words, right now I think this pain will never go away. And, you know, I'm, I'm asking my soul to die. And, and what you're doing is you're attempting to have a, a permanent solution to a problem that's temporary that because you're in infant time, and, you know, they talk about white knuckling it, which is to get through that infant time. If you can get through the infant time, if you can overcome that, um, then, then you know, and get to the other side, then it's not so bad. Then you look back 10 years later and say, oh, yeah, that, that was a really painful time in my life. I remember that. But, all right, it's something you remember. It, you don't think it, you know. But in the time when you're in that moment, everything is exaggerated. In your mind. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he does think he's the only one at that. He, yes, intellectually, he remembers that there's a hundred guys in a cave somewhere. Mm-hmm. But right now, it feels like I'm the only one. Well, you know what I want to say? This, this is a hopeless situation. Mm-hmm. And what God is telling him is, is get off your tuchus. It's not hopeless. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it's what I think that happens here in, in 15 is where it, this is one of these times when I when I kind of am a little bit, you know, I've got a, a business background. So before mm-hmm. I was ever in ministry, I worked in a, a corporate world. And, you know, you'd have a meeting, you know, there'd be a meeting and the big head honcho would come in and something would happen in the company or something would happen in the in the world or in the marketing or whatever, where the head honcho would come in and say, okay, everything changes. And so the head honcho comes in and it's like he hears this and then Yehovah says to him. Now, I think this is interesting. I, I see I see the father. He's like steps in as the CEO. Okay. Elijah's had enough. Everything changes. Everything changes. Go return on your way to the wilderness Damascus. Then he throws a curveball. And when you arrive, uh, uh, make Hazael a uh, uh, Mashiach. Anoint Hazael king over Aram. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why do we have to have that the phrase? enemy. No, no. Why do we have to have that phrase there? Why does he have to anoint uh, um, uh, Hazael king over Aram? And why, do, why are we hearing about this? I mean... This is, I mean, we're supposed to slow down and say, wait. And then he says, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. So he's got three things he tells him. Okay, Elijah, you're about to get your pension. Retirement is coming. But before you leave, I need you to do something. First thing, go return on your way back and go and do this work uh, for Aram. And what I think when I read that, honestly, Nehemiah, I just think about how big Yehovah is again. I talk about this all the time. He, he's, he's got his, there's nothing that he's unaware of. And now we get to see actually a situation where I asked the question before. I said, why do we hear about these other countries? Why do we hear about these other nations? Why are we hearing about, you know, what he did with this nation and that nation? And sure enough, we get an insider's look. Mm. Here's an example of an insider's look. You shall go and anoint Hazael king over Aram, and I could we could literally spend the rest of the time just talking about what the what the issues are around that. Yeah, um, yeah. Now I want to talk about this phrase in verse fifteen. C- can you read that beginning of mm. verse fifteen? Your translation. Go return on your way to the wilderness. 
Uh, it just says the wilderness? Yeah, of uh, Damascus. Of Dam- what is this, wilderness of Damascus? Oh. Isn't that interesting? It says, to the wilderness, Midbar Damasek, the wilderness of Damascus. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's simply that, you know, he's going to uh, Aram, to Aramea, to the Syrian, you know, mm-hmm. Syrian capital, to Damascus, to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Um, but so, and here, this is homework for people. So uh, there's this document called the Damascus document. It was actually, it's actually the first Dead Sea Scroll that was discovered. Mm-hmm. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in a cave in 1947 mm-hmm. um, in on the shores of the Dead Sea near a place called Qumran. Um, but before that, they, in the late 1800s, they discovered something called the Damascus document in the Cairo Geniza. Mm-hmm. Um, and that essentially was part of the literature of the, of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Just not, It was discovered in Egypt, not by the Dead Sea. Later, they found copies of it next to the Dead Sea. Um, so this Damascus document, or sometimes it's called the Covenant of Damascus, it, it's really, it's, it's a top, we should sometime do a show just on, on itself, but it talks about these group of people who come together in the land of Damascus, and it's based on this verse. They took this verse and they kind of spiritualized it, or maybe they read into it something. And then in uh, the Co- Damascus document, uh, 619, it mentions, this is very, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll just mention the phrase here. It says, according to the commandments, of those entering the Brit Hadashah, the new covenant in the land of Damascus. Mm. Very interesting stuff. That's some homework for people. Go look up the new covenant in the land of Damascus. Amen. Really fascinating stuff. And, and this was, of course, uh, things that were written before, you know, before somebody came along and wrote a book that today we call the New Testament, mm. the new covenant. This was back then, uh, probably around 200 BC, the Damascus document was written. Really interesting stuff. So you're telling me in verse 15, that's what you were going to focus on was the Damascus document and not you shall anoint Hazael king over Aaron. No, we can talk about that now. I no, I to... did already talk about okay, it. You didn't so... say anything about it. You, so it doesn't move you. It moves me. So there's three anointings here that take place, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's and Two of them are for king and one of them is for a prophet. Mm-hmm. One is, And one is for a foreign king. So as far as I can remember, this is the first time we hear about a foreign king being anointed. Mm-hmm. Later we have an anointed, of course, is Mashiach. Mm-hmm. He's anointed with oil, made a Mashiach. So we've got Hazael, the king of Aram, who's anointed. We have Yehu, who is anointed as king of Israel. And we have Elisha, who's anointed as a prophet. So there's two, two firsts here. One is anointing a foreign king, and the other is anointing a prophet. Mm-hmm. We don't have anywhere else in the Tanakh that I can remember where a, uh, a prophet is until after this we do in like Isaiah. So, but the first time we hear about a prophet being anointed with oil, um, we have a high priest anointed with oil. We have a king of Israel anointed with oil. This is the first time a foreign king and a prophet are anointed so with folks oil. Folks that are listening, I want you to interact with me on this. Go to BFAinternational.com. And then after you come up with these great statements, go over to NehemiahsWall.com. And put them there because I think this is really significant. Like mm-hmm. it's like yeah. to me, it's 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 more an image of like I say, Yehovah, the CEO that steps in and says, "Now you guys don't know the big picture. Uh, here's the deal, Elijah. Here, I need you to do these three things. Don't ask any questions. Go do this. Go do this. Do this. And then it says, it says after you've done that, he explains what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It shall come about that the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Now he's been anointed. As a prophet, but he's going to be taking off some heads. I mean, what you mean, uh, Elisha? Elisha, yes. Well, look, I mean, so so when he calls him, we read the section where he calls him the troubler of Israel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's something to that. <laughs> or with that Elijah, then, they call. And the then he of and Israel. then he says, and again, uh, eighteen says, I'm, I have seven thousand. I'll leave seven thousand. He says, I will leave, or there are, are, are and I will leave, yeah, and I will leave seven thousand in Israel. All the knees that have not done two things. Bow to Baal in every mouth that has not kissed him. Wow. What the? So, th- so think about that. that. That's interesting. I don't know. You knew that from other passages. Right. They would kneel before Baal 
and they would come up to his statue and kiss the Lord, mm-hmm. kiss the statue of Baal, the Lord. So I've had this issue. I did a series called Now is the Time, and I really, yeah. I really, some people think I went too far. I don't think I did at all. Um, but I was, I was really having a struggle with, uh, with uh, Pope Benedict. We've been in a long-term fight because of his, his, his Pope um, yeah, Pope Benedict. Is he the Pope no, he's not the. Well, actually, he is. He's the Pope behind the behind oh. the behind the curtain. But anyway, I got in a lot of trouble with the Now Is the Time series. I invite you to look at it at bfainternational.com. But one of the things that happens is when he went to New York, he actually decided to meet um, not only with the Jewish community, and this was really quite quite. Hard for me to see. He met with the Jewish community. His first time with the Pope came on American soil and went into a synagogue. And the second thing that he did is he went and met with the Protestants. And in both cases, people would kiss his ring. And You're I have it on your rabbi. I have it on video. People in in the synagogue would reach out and grab it. And the, but the thing Seriously? that really no, listen to me. I don't believe that. So these listen, were Catholics in the synagogue, right? Then. The Protestants are waiting in line, including the bishops of the Methodists and the, and the evangelical, yes, the evangelicals and the reforms and the Lutherans, and they wait in line, and they go up to the Pope and bow and kiss his ring. And I just have to be honest with you, I, I wow. you know what I mean? One of the reasons I so are you saying the Pope is Baal? Well, well, no, no, is he the Lord? No, I'm not. I didn't say that. I think it's worse than that because because okay. in my in my opinion. What would ever give anyone the, 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 the authority, if it's not Yehovah himself, where you would bow down and kiss? Like here, we're looking at Can I at read it. you this? Yes, please. So there's this uh, thing. Uh, the, the holiest site for Muslims is a place called the Kaaba, which is a giant black um, um, like, you know, temple. And in the corner of the Kaaba is a special stone. That apparently, according to many historians, is, is um, they say it fell from heaven. And so people look at that and they say, oh, the black stone fell from heaven. It's, it's, we know what that is. It's a meteorite. And every Muslim has the duty to come to Mecca and kiss that stone. And the Muslim, Muslim pilgrims, they will, they will do this. Uh, they'll walk around the Kaaba. And the goal of that, their goal, if they can, if they're worthy in their eyes, is to be able to actually kiss the stone. Some of them actually can't get that close, so they can't kiss it. So they point in the direction and... Uh, you know, and as kind of like a, a, a long distance kiss, but they want to kiss that stone the way that, according to the Islamic tradition, Muhammad kissed this black stone that fell from the sky. Okay, well, uh, so whatever this is that's going on here, these people are kissing Baal. Now, I will tell you that the last three verses, I'm I'm not going to say too much about them, and the reason is is because we because I feel like we already we already talked about these actual verses. We actually, you know, we were talking about Elijah being selected, and yeah. and, and this is what this. I must admit, Nehemiah, yeah. and maybe it's because I'm a little, uh, you know, we we've been doing this and we're working, and I'm, I, I love talking about the Word of God, but it's like it's like I I still ask the question, like, so why didn't it end at the end of nineteen? It goes on and explains in twenty to nineteen. I'm sorry, eighteen. Another section now talking about him finding Elisha. Uh, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs. I'm reading it anyway. Look at me. Elijah passed over him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elisha and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother that I will follow you. And this is one of the funniest phrases in the Bible to me. (laughs) Maybe you can give it to us in Hebrew. But in English, he says, he says to him, go back again. (laughs) What have I done to you? So like Elijah comes to him and he's telling him, look, here's my mantle. Here's the deal. And he says, can I go say goodbye to my, what, what have I done to you? Well, you just about changed my life. What are you talking about? What have you done to me? Right. So what is this response? I mean, yeah. maybe there's some, some hidden meaning or something that just, uh, it just makes me laugh. It's like, um, he's like, well, and then he doesn't go and kiss his parents. He, he, he offers a sacrifice. Mm. 
So he returned from following him. Yeah. And took a pair of oxen, sacrificed them, bore them flesh and the implements of oxen, gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered. Oh. And he ministered to him. I mean, there must be some other word. No. No, that is sure enough. So he had a ministry. He had a ministry. Amen. So the ministry minute, everybody, I will say something. I, I, when we went to... Uh, now, are you Elisha or are no, you no, Elijah? I'm, I'm, neither, <laughs> I'm neither the prophet nor the son of a prophet. Amen. I'm just a guy who uh, who loves the word of God and giving people a chance to learn it. But one of the things that happened to me that's actually referred back to this story, um, to the mountain, was I had prayed this prayer. I said, Father, teach me to love what you love and hate what you hate. And that was in 2001. And then when we went to that mountain, Nehemiah, I think that was closer to 2000 and. 10 or 11? I, I can't remember but, when but it I was. But I went back to the mountain. That's also in the book. Yeah, and so Should I'm going back section? to... No, no, that's okay. That's all right. Like everybody get the book. Went twice to the mountain. No, and, uh, but the second time I went back, I, 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 I learned... I, I really did hear three words. I, I really did. I really felt yeah. these three words. And the three words were, you have learned. And what I mean by learning is learning to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And I don't say that as a, as a, as a sort of a, a, a trophy, but I say it in humility that... A part of the ministry, the reason the BFA International is so exciting to me right now is that I, I want people to learn to love what he loves and hate what he hates, but you can't learn what he loves and you can't learn what he hates unless you know what it is. And you can't know what it is unless you crack open uh, the place that he shares his will, his word, and his way. And so everything that we're doing right now has about you building a foundation, of building a strong biblical foundation for your faith. And so BFAinternational.com. Please do me a favor. Go and see what we're doing. There's a there's an audio a biblical Hebrew audio course on there right now, and uh, I just mentioned the Now Is the Time series that's in the Premium Content Library. Amazing, probably the most controversial and radical series that we ever done. Really, really, really well received, but um, really gives people a chance to have to slow down. And what's it called? It's what's called it? Now Is the Time. Is the time. <clears throat> yeah, and so. My point is, is there's so much there. One of the reasons I want to end in saying this, one of the reasons that I'm so conv- committed to people learning to have this uh, biblical foundation of the faith is because there's so much other information that's out there. We keep hearing teachers, that whether it's teachers coming in with a new teaching or a new thought or a new whatever, and I keep feeling really bad because people end up running behind these people. But then a simple little ability to know what is being said, language, history, and context can give you an ability on whether it's, if it's, if I can say if it's kosher, if it's biblical. Um, and, and I think that people aren't always getting a chance to do that. So that's really what we're about is giving people access to the access to that information and where they can build a, a biblical foundation for faith. BFAinternational.com. And I want to make a confession, folks. If my voice sounds bad, which I know that it does, I'm really struggling with a little bit of a, a battle here with my chest and, and congestion. But every time we turn on the radio, it just doesn't matter to me what it sounds like because, like, what's because of what we're doing. But I will say I apologize if it's a, if you hear me coughing and running away. It's we'll uh, try to edit those out. We'll try to edit those out. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, it's like someone said they were listening to us and they yeah. said we keep hearing sirens in the background. Oh. <laughs> They're looking for Keith. It's door to door. No, it's not. Go ahead. No, uh, and actually we're, we're uh, located here on. Uh, uh, right off of a major road where the ambulances go back and forth. It's not just the road. It's the police. Netanyahu's house is less than That's a half true a mile. That's well, right, yeah. Um, it's a lot closer than that. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> McCore Hebrew Foundation is my ministry. Uh, and uh, com. head over there. And uh, please, please, we want you to get involved. Go and listen to. Uh, we've got the original Torah pearls. We've got the prophet pearls. I've got my uh, radio blog that's going on my, my radio podcast. 
Um, got a bunch of other things going on, uh, studies and teachings. We got what's called the support team, where there's some really high quality uh, teachings that are going out there and doing some really intense research and just sharing that with people who have you know been supporting the ministry. So go and sign up for that. Awesome. And don't forget to sign up for my free newsletter and you know, you'll get an update every week or whenever I feel led. And um, yeah, get involved. And, and can I just say something? You know, Keith really casually glossed past yes we were on mount sinai and i heard these three words and and i gotta say i've i've been traveling with keith and, and interacting with him for what is it now 13 years now 13 or something like years that. you kidding and, and can i and i'm pretty confident that in the entire time i've been with you i've only seen you move to tears twice mm. um once was something that happened recently that if you want to share you can mm-hmm. and the other was up there on mount sinai after mm-hmm. you had that experience mm-hmm. where you say you heard the three words so it wasn't mm-hmm. just oh i heard three words moved mm-hmm. on yeah, I mean, the guy i've, I've never he was quite moved by that, and I was as well because mm-hmm. I had my own experience up there. And mm-hmm. talk about that in my book, Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence. Mm-hmm. But you know, God is just messing with my life. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's I mean, doing these things. Something about him, you know. And, and I gotta say, when I went up that second time to Mount Sinai with you, I was convinced and, and resolute that look, God, you caught me off guard last time. Not this. Time. I wasn't paying attention. This is not going to happen again. That you're gonna you know do this thing to me. And he had different plans. God is. Bigger than the boxes we've put, you know, created mm-hmm. for him, mm-hmm. and he does what he wants to do. Oh, and I'm so grateful for him that he's he's you know um, done what he's done in my life. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, not in a sense, he's given me the second chance, and I'm going to use every minute and every day of it the best I can to serve him. Amen. Oh, Amen. Oh, and with that, I want to pray for others that would be um, would be in a place where they would also want to hear from him. So, Father, we just thank you so much for your word and for being here. Uh, the testimony of the past, the way that you were there and, and where we are today, you are here and where we will be. And only you know where that is, but you'll be with us. And for those that are listening, as they open these these passages and they read them, we pray that they would really uh, allow this this story and in any aspects of it, the human side of it, the spiritual side of it, to minister to them. Thank you so much for um, your will, your word and your way and the opportunity for us to to open the word of God. And we just pray that people would would be encouraged as they hear these messages and stories of the prophets that they're still good. Um, what they taught in the past is is applicable for us today, and we look forward to prophecy being fulfilled in the future. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Prophet Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson. For more information, please visit nehemiaswall.com and bfainternational.com.